great morning together. We'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, page 984, if you're using the Bible on the back of the seat there. Thanks so much for being here today on a holiday weekend. You came to church, appreciate it. We've got a lot of people who are visiting in a way uh, for the weekend, but you are here and we are going to dig into God's word together. Now, I want to let you know this harvest, today's going to be uh, a bit different than normal. Usually what we do if you're visiting with us or new with us is we go to a passage of scripture and we've been going through the book of Colossians verse by verse and working through all that and understanding it. We're kind of doing that today, kind of not. Now, like one of the things for me is I'm not the kind of pastor that likes to go to a church where it's like we read a verse and then talk about whatever the guy wants to talk about. Um, we, we're just not that way. We want to hear what God has to say from his word and dig that out. Now, I do want to let you know that today is kind of this morning is part one of this evening. And with the workshops that we have, we have workshops uh, by all our elders and their wives are going to be involved with that for preschoolers, for grade schoolers, for teens. We've got one for grandparents. Uh, I'm going to be doing one on uh, adults uh, with adult children. And if you're an adult child, I want to encourage you to consider coming to that as well. But that's going to be happening tonight. And so this morning, what's going to be different is we are going to kind of read this, uh, these couple verses here. And then I am going to, in fact, I just saw someone in the first service, they just tweeted, they said, a gauntlet of parenting information was just downloaded on me this morning. So <laughs> I just don't have to say anything more. That's what's coming. Uh, but I do want to let you know this, really kind of how this is working is we're going to be hitting three areas, the, the parent's priority, the parent's purpose, and the parent's plan, basically giving you a statement with that. But I'm also going to be giving you three, I'll call them diagrams, three kind of images that for Karen and I, uh, over the years, we were inputted into us that were so helpful and are biblically driven. Uh, one is the TPT uh, the second is understanding your child's heart. And then the third is going to be two, the two tools for parenting. So this is where we're going to be going this morning. And uh, we're going to dive into God's word and do that. Uh, but we're going to kind of be pulling from all over scripture today. So today it's living Jesus Christ supreme in your home. And you can see this picture that we have. And part of what's behind this picture, we'll be using this as we go along. But ladies, I realize for the last months, I have just been... As a guy, I have been using warrior image and gl images and gladiator images, and the ladies are like, come on, man. And, you know, I've been saying warrioresses, but uh, so today we've kind of got a little bit of uh, the girls in the image there, okay? Just want you to know we love you too. All right, love you too. Okay, but is that not the cutest little girl you've ever seen right there? Oh, how precious is that? Well, hey, let me read from Scripture and we're going to start going. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. In fact, let's do this. Let's all read this together. Whatever version you have, they're pretty close. So let's all read this together, these two verses, verses 20, 21, starting in 3, 2, 1. Let's go. Children. Fathers. Lord, I just pray as... Uh, we talk on a topic that is so important, and that is really the topic of uh, teens, children, and parents, and the parenting process, Lord. It, it, is, um, it is important to you. You're the one who designed it so that we could have children. 
and you are our Father. Lord, I thank you that you are the perfect Father, that we as a children that are not perfect have you to be able to look to and to guide us and direct us. You have not just given us the ability to have children, but you have called us as both children and as parents to do things your way. So I just pray today with the race going on and with the activities that are all around on a wonderful weekend, I just pray for the next bit we would be here. And whether we're young, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're older, whether, we're, whether we have kids or we don't have kids, Lord, we learn a lot about you from this. May we be learners right now, all here, all in, and all about you. So show us more of you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Before I jump into talking with the parents, I want to talk with the kids and the teens and the tweens in the room today. And I want to take five just to kind of talk with you all here for a little bit. Because you can see in verse 20 of chapter 3, it says children or teens or tweens. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, uh, Teens, tweens, kids, I want for you to know that God has a word for you, that God has something that he wants for you to prioritize in your life. And if I were to sum up kind of what that is in scripture, I would sum it up this way. As a teen, as a tween, as a kid in a home, you are to live to be a living for Jesus Obeying your parent or parents, kind of a kid. You are to be a living for Jesus, obeying your parents, uh, kind of a child or teen. And with that, I just want to say three things to you. One, it's not easy being a kid. It's not easy. By the way, parents, I encourage you to listen in right now. But to the teens and kids, I want for you to know it's not easy being a kid. I mean, here you are, you are placed under your parent or your parent's authority, and you know really, really well that your parents are definitely not perfect, right? Be careful with that. (laughs) But it's true. You know that your parents are not perfect. And even on top of that, I'll even, Matt, add that in your situation, it may really be that your mom or your dad or both are really, really hard to live with. And you are a different person than your parents. You're unique. You may be more like one than the other. You may be different than both of them. And I just, as your pastor, I just want to acknowledge, it is not easy being a kid. I know, I was one once. Really, I was. And I'll even just say this. I loved my parents And yet there were a lot of times where my dad and I, we were very, very different from each other. My dad and I uh, butted heads a lot. And um, it's not easy being a kid. I just want you to know that. Secondly, along with that, I also want you to know that God is sovereign. God has placed you in the home that he has placed you in. God could have put you in any home, anywhere on the entire planet, in any country, any nation, anywhere. He could have put you anywhere else, but he put you in the home that you're in. 
I'm not going to stand up here and act like I know exactly why God has placed you in the home that you are in. I don't fully know that. But I do know this about scripture. God's word tells us that God does everything on purpose. And he has a reason for it. And ultimately, it's for your growth and for your being able to become an adult that gives and a teen that, that glorifies the Lord. So God is sovereign. He has placed you where you are at. And even at those times where your parents just drive you bananas, I just want for you to remember, God has put you in the home that you're in. And there's hope in that. He knows. He knows how they drive you bananas. He understands. And yet he loves you in it all. He's sovereign. It's not easy and God is sovereign. The third thing, I just last thing I want to tell you is this. Even though it's not easy, and knowing that God is sovereign, he has called you to obey your parents. He has called you to obey your parents. You've heard me talk about in other weeks, if you've been here, I, I kind of communicate some of the Greek on purpose. This word that's used here in obey is called a present active imperative. It's a command. And it's meaning that it's a command. It's not a suggestion. God's not saying if, if it works out for you, do it. God's saying, no, you obey your parents. And outside of your parents asking you to steal or lie or sin, you're to obey your parents. That's God's call for you. That God has said that. And he wants you to be doing that all the time. But with that, with you obeying, I think there's five little things I want for you to know here. Number one, I've already mentioned it. You're obeying imperfect authority. Your parents are not perfect. They make mistakes. If they haven't told you that, let me tell you that. They make mistakes. They don't always do things correctly. And so you are living under imperfect authority, but you are still called by God to obey that imperfect authority. Second with this, I'm going to say this. Parenting is a lot harder than you know. Parenting is a lot harder than you may think. And sometimes you may be thinking like, come on, man, dude, it's not that hard. <laughs> Love you, but it's hard. Probably the hardest thing we've ever done in our lives. Your parents aren't perfect. It's harder than you think. Another thing is, is and this is really important. If you haven't heard me yet, please hear this one. God has not called you teens, tweens, and kids to obey your parents for all your life. And some parents are freaked out right now. Like, what are you talking about? We're going to be talking about this a little bit later. But know this, there will come a time for you kids to where you will be out on your own and you are not called to obey your parents for your entire life. The Bible says that we're to honor our parents, we're to obey them while you're under their authority, but there comes a day, and we'll be talking later, when you are out from under that authority and you are on your own and you can make your own life decisions at that time and you will bear the consequences of that, good, bad, whatever. With that, But just know this, you're, you're called to do this for a season, so hang in there. I wish someone would have told me this when I was a teen. Hey, just hang in there, Doug, a few more years. <laughs> Literally, a few more years. Also, how you obey your parents is a direct link to how you obey God. And I think us adults can look back and see that. How you obey your parents is a direct link to how you obey God. And lastly, the thing I want to let you know, kids, with this call to obey is know this, that we can see in the passage that there is a blessing. 
In fact, let me read for you Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, kids. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. And then verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is going all the way back to the Ten Commandments where it says, children, obey your parents. But it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a command with a promise to it because it says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Know this, kids. You honor, you, you obey your parents or parents in the years that you're under their authority. God promises that he will bless you. Let him define what that blessing looks like. But just know this, hang in there, keep going. They're not perfect, but God has put you there and you need to obey them and God will bless you. Lord, I just want to take a minute here and pause and pray for the kids and the teens in this room. A lot of times in this room, we kind of just talk adult stuff, if you will. We don't take these times where we just kind of key in on kids. Lord, we love the kids and the teens and the tweens in this room. We love them. (laughs) I mean, even here, Odara, a teen, how big of a ministry she did to us this morning. And Lord, uh, for these teens, uh, you've called them to obey their parents and that's not easy. And you've called them to obey the parents that you gave them. And I remember back there were days where I wish I had different parents at times. But you gave them the parent and parents that they have. God, I just pray that they would love you by loving their parents. Would you help them? Give them endurance. Give them wisdom. Give them patience and give them obedience. Thank you for the kids. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Parents, it's your turn. We're gonna spend a little bit more time. So kids, be encouraged. We're coming at the moms and the dads. A parent's priority, a parent's priority Um, here's how I would sum it up. Okay, this is Doug, all right? I want to be clear on this. This is how I would sum up a parent's priority. It would be this, to build a gospel-centered, marriage-focused home. For a kid, for a teen, it was to be a living for Jesus, obeying your parents, teen parents. It's to build a gospel-centered, marriage-focused home. Now, uh, in that, if if you're not married or you're divorced or you're a single parent in that, I would kind of term this to build a gospel-centered, parent-focused home. Uh, This statement has an opposite to it. The opposite of what I've just said is to build a me-centered, child-focused home. You don't want that. You don't want a me-centered, child-focused home. Let me talk about that for a minute. Not me-centered. It's not so much, parents, all about what you think. It's not just about what you want or what you prefer. The fact of the matter is God has given you a child or children made in the image of God under your care for a period of time and God calls you to raise your children up and what God expects of us, God equips us to be able to do. So I'd say it this way, parents, it's not about what you think, it's about what Jesus thinks. It's not about how you want to parent, it's about how God calls us to parent. 
And that's to be gospel-centered. And that's where all things in the home are to be ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ supreme. That's what you want to be building in your home. A gospel-centered home is a grace-filled home. It's a home where sin happens. But it's a home where grace abounds. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a home, it's where everyone is growing and changing. Hey, parents, it's not just about your kids growing and changing, but it's about you growing and changing as well. A gospel-centered home. It's where the name of Jesus is sought to be lifted high. Also, it's a home where scripture abounds. Everyone hang a big left in your Bible and go all the way to Deuteronomy. It's page 151 in the, the Bibles that, from the back of the seats. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This morning, I'm kind of giving you a couple key passages for parenting. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, Ephesians 5, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Here's another one, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. Uh, in fact, if you look at chapter 5, chapter 5, the, the Ten Commandments are given. It's following that in the context. Let's read verse 5, chapter 6. It says, you shall love the Lord your God. Moses is speaking to all the people of Israel. Uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's the big picture call. Love God with everything. Well, well, how do we do that? Verse 6, and these words that I command you today are to be on your heart. In our culture, the heart is up here, biblically. It's how we think. It's how we process. It's the control center of the person. Uh, that's in our Western world, that's the reality. And this is where our heart is in our thinking process. And the word of God is to be central there. It's to be driving there. How do we do that? Well, he answers that. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I'll make a couple comments on that. You shall teach them. Hey, parents, I want for you to know as a church, we are here to partner with you. We, we want to partner with you. We want to, uh, in, the, in the room that's going on over here, if the kids are in here, we want for you to know that we want for your children to be able to be raised with biblical truth coming from this church. We're partnering with you. But hear me in this. It's your responsibility first. You do not abdicate the responsibility to raise your kid up in the Lord by just going, that's what we take him to church for. Because hear me on this, they know that. And they know that you take them to church over there and then you come home and it doesn't happen here. And there's a disconnect and kids are so smart that they get the disconnect and us adults, we just think we can fake them out. And they get it. And now are we understanding why 75% of teens who grow up going to church don't ever go back? Because there's a grand disconnect going on. They go to church to get Jesus, and then they go home to do non-Jesus. And the two are to be together. You are to be the ones. You shall, verse 7, diligently teach your children. Diligently. It doesn't mean it happens in a moment. It's not a week. It's not a month. Diligently. Over time. And in this, uh, I say, have devotions with them, but look at the text here. Verse 7, you shall teach diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, 
when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of the houses and on your gates. Do you get the idea here that what's supposed to happen is as God wants in order to raise people that love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, here's what's got to happen. Scripture has to just be everywhere. And one of the greatest, this is me speaking, one of the greatest faults I've seen in parenting is this disconnect between when kids see their mom or their dad open their Bible or start to talk God stuff, everybody's freaking out because it's an odd conversation. It should just be part of life. Driving to church this morning. Yeah, what a perfect opportunity. Memorial Day. Memorial Day, we're thankful for what people have done in Sacramento, without question. But I, I, I think this is a great opportunity to talk to your kids about someone else that died. And just bring that conversation in. Someone else who gave their life to be able to provide freedom. You drive to church this morning, you could have that conversation. Just, you don't even have to open your Bible. You drive to church, it's a beautiful day. Isn't it amazing how the, the sun is where it's at? We're just the exact right distance and things turn so seasons and it's finally getting warm out and it's beautiful out. Man, God holds the whole universe together. Listen, parents, grandparents, we should just be permeating that through all of life, talking about it everywhere in it. We're to build a gospel-centered home. Got to keep moving. A marriage-focused, not a child-focused home. You'll see some more of that here in a bit. Know this, that that if you're married uh, and, and have your children, that there is no other relationship in all of Scripture, not with your kids, not with other people, not with extended family. There is no other relationship in the home that is told to be living like Christ in the church. The marriage relationship is unlike any other relationship on the planet. And what kids need most is a mom and a dad who live that picture out in an increasing way. That would be the greatest gift you could ever give your kid, ever, to be able to see that. A marriage focus on, it's not all about your kids. And I just ask parents, as you kind of think through some of this, I just... Literally, uh, what's been the priority in your home over the last week or month? What has been the priority? Here's a couple. To be conflict-free. Or to be moral, have values in the home. Or for things to go your way. Or to have peace. Or maybe the priority for you over the last week, month, has been to survive. I I get that. But I just ask this, what's different about that home than an atheist's home? There is no difference. There is no difference. But building a gospel-centered marriage-focused home, that's to be the priority of what's happening in it. Eyes set on that, pursuing after doing that and being that. Parents, your priority is to build a gospel-centered marriage-focused home. Next, the parent's purpose, your purpose. So if that's your priority, what's your purpose? Here's the purpose statement. I want to build it out with three little uh, pieces with it. First, to raise my children, to raise my children. To raise our children, to raise our children. To raise. 
That means that something has to happen. That means you move them from one place to the next. You're not just providing a roof. You're not just providing food. Uh, You could say, well, that's raising them. No, no, no. We'll see here in a little bit. It's more than that. Parents, your kids are not a Chia pet. You don't just water them and then stand back and go, woo, look at that, whatever creepy kind of stuff coming out of that head is. That's not what it's about. If it was that, it would have saved a lot of pain in everybody's life back in our family. But it's not that. It's not about the experience of having a family. It's about raising another that has been entrusted to your care. By the way, It's about raising one made in the image of God that has been given to you by God for you to do something with them. Raise them. Raising doesn't happen overnight. Raising takes a period of time. So you're to raise them. Secondly, you're to raise them to leave home. You raise your children to leave home. Now, there may be some here in this morning where it's like, man, I just got my baby in the last year or so, and you're telling me to, I'm raising him to leave home? Look at me. Yes. Yes. I'm just going to say, for Karen and I, this principle right here changed our entire parenting. So I ask you really just from our own personal experience to hear this up. And I say this because this comes out of Genesis 2.24, Ephesians 5.24. Both of those tell about how when, when God said, and, and he shall leave, he and his wife shall leave the father and mother, and they shall cleave to one another and become one flesh. A whole new relationship is built out. And, and this is what we're talking. So we've got an acronym here used for this to help us to remember. It's called TPT. Can you say that? Awesome. And it means temporary, permanent, temporary. Let me explain. Temporary. Uh, I, Doug, was born into a family. (laughs) Does that not not look like the perfect Baptist family right there? Does that not? Okay, so here's me in the different colored suit than everybody. Yep, that kind of fits. I was kind of the different guy in the family. I was in an engineer mindset family. I was... A little bit different. So me, uh, I was the youngest, then my middle brother, David, who I was in business with for 20 years, then my older brother, Don. This is my mom and my dad. My dad died a number of years ago. My mom is still living. My mom's uh, remarried to an amazing man, my stepdad, Kirchel, and uh, living in Indianapolis. And this is my family. And I'm so grateful that God put me in my family. We had some hard times, but we had some amazing times, and I'm grateful for them. But in that whole reality, there is a temporariness to this. And that really changed and was made very, very clear when a permanent relationship came to fruition. Karen and I got married. Now, I'm not saying that that has to be at marriage, because if you're a single adult and you're older, 18 or above or whatever, when you get to that place, when you are on your own and mom and dad are not housing you or financing you and some of those kind of, I won't get into that part of it, but in that, when you become on your own, you are an adult. You make choices for you. And this relationship has changed. 
Karen now is the central person that I am to be focused on. And same thing, I could put Karen with her parents up here. And when we got married, here's the change. When I was under my mom and dad, Jerry and Janice, I was biblically to honor and obey them. Right? Biblically. Here, I am to honor my parents, but I am no longer called biblically to obey my parents. And some of you parents may need to hear this right now. And you may be thinking that I still have the authority to parent my children, and you don't. The parenting ends. You will always be their parent. I still call my mom, mom. I still seek to honor my mom. But I am no longer called to obey my mom. That's a permanent relationship. And then after about five years when Karen and I were married, look at that plaid couple. (laughs) I I had hair and it was dark. (laughs) And and, uh, this is Emily, our youngest, and Luke. Oh, I just, I don't want to talk. I'll get teary-eyed. I love our kids. I love our kids. I did anyway. Love our kids. And now in that, here's the deal. We were in this permanent relationship and this permanent relationship continues. A marriage-centered home. Luke and Emily are now, if you will, over to this picture for them if they were telling the story. And both Luke and Emily have now married. Luke married Kayla and they uh, live in the area. And now he's in a permanent relationship with Kayla. And here's the deal for me as the parent and for Karen. We are no longer expecting them to obey us. It's changed. We've raised them to leave home. Leave. <laughs> Some days that was the reality of it. But it's a beautiful thing, parents. And parents, you've got to cut that cord. And listen, parents, if you're in that adult children thing, come tonight to the workshop. I'm going to be talking some more on that. And if you're an adult child with some of that, I would encourage you to come as well on that. But then Luke and, uh, Luke and Kayla are over here with us. And then Luke's married to Kayla. And, and, and Emily's married to Kurt. And, and, and Emily and Kurt, they had their, our first grandchild over here. And, and they're over this way. And William now is in a temporary relationship. Do you see how the cycle goes? Parents, if you don't have this in your mindset, you don't have the future looking ahead. And all of this, if you have a little wee one, it changes how you parent your one, two, three, four-year-old. Because now, when you have situations coming up, you're just not thinking about how can we keep peace in the home. You are now thinking about how does this impact for when they leave home? We are now working on children to leave rather than to make it through this year. TPT, very important. Parents, there is a temporariness to your parenting, the relationship changes. So to raise my children to leave home. But I would add this, that's no different than an atheist. To raise your kids to leave home. Leave home what? To raise our children to leave home equipped to handle life biblically. 
That's what you want, parents. If you are a Christ-following parent, listen, that's what you want. You want to raise your child. That means you have that period of time. Let's just say it's 18 years, 20 years, however that kind of fits out with things. You have that period of time. You're raising them from here. You're taking them to there. You're raising them to leave home because you know after that they're going to be gone. They're on their own. Oh, you want them out. Nothing's worse than an adult kid living like a 10-year-old at home. And then in it, when they're leaving home, but you want them, just don't want them to leave home and have life and breath. You want them to leave home to handle life biblically, to handle life, not just do life, not just know how to cook and know how to fix some things, which are all fantastic and all part of the parenting process. But listen, you want to raise them, be equipped. You want to tool them up. And so parents, you have 18 years to tool them up, to head out on their own. 18 years to tool them up. 18 years to help them learn how to handle life from a biblical standpoint. By the way, that means you need to know and grow on handling life biblically. Do you know how? That's what we're about as a church, trying to help people live by God's word and what God calls out. Tool them up. By the way, leave them, equip them to leave life, uh, handle life biblically. That does not mean that they will choose to do that. Just because you sought to raise your child up to leave home equipped to handle life biblically does not mean that they will choose to do that. But you have no control over that. But you do have control over this period of time where you are seeking to raise them that way. And then it's out the door, out the door, and you're like on your knees more than you have ever been in your whole life. Oh God, spare them. Draw them. And some of you know the aches and the pains of having done that and see your kid just go. But know this, God loves them. And the best place for you to be is on your knees at that place and time. Just because you raise them in this kind of a way does not guarantee it. Why? Because they have a heart Because you are raising a heart. You're not raising a math equation. Parenting so often ends up being like, just do A, B, C, and you'll produce a D. (laughs) No, you won't. Because you're dealing with a heart. So the next thing I want to bring to the table is understanding on some of this. Here's the thing. Uh, You are raising a child's heart. And biblically, your child is not born with a pure heart, a flower that's ready to bloom. And you know that when they start talking. Because the first words they say is me and mine and no and McDonald's. (laughs) Right? It's just so true. You can see the sin within their heart. It just comes out. And for you parents who have little ones and you think that they are so cute, they are. 
But do know this, as a parent, you're understanding. You're not saying to this kid, like, you're a sinner. You're you're understanding what you're starting with. You've been given this this beautiful creation by God, and yet we live in a sin-cursed world, Romans 3.23, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And within their heart is bound up some things. In fact, you are starting with these things. You are actually starting with a beautiful, beautiful little baby boy or girl that is, if you will, you are thinking they're spiritually dead. They need to know Jesus. That they have a deceitful heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Parents, sometimes you wonder, like, where's all that little crud come out of that kid? Right out of their heart. Because they have a deceitful heart. And listen to this one. Write this one down. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That's the summary what I'm talking about here. You have this beautiful gift from God, but yet the reality is, is folly is bound up in that heart. And you, you want to equip them. You want to move them along a process. So we come over here to the other side of it. And we, we, what you want to do is from the time that they're little to the time where they're heading on their own, you want for them to understand, I'm kind of categorizing, understand three main things. You want to have them understand redemption. Because a spiritually dead heart can be redeemed. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You're working, and it's not just one story. It's about helping them see the pattern of redemption. It's about helping them to understand God's word, to understand scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Where? Right here. This is the manual for life. And parents, we're not trying to help more, raise moral children. We're trying to raise biblically driven children. We're trying to help them understand and see scripture. And we're also trying to help them understand what looking like walking with Jesus is like, even in our failures. And that includes seeking their forgiveness. Parents, how often has it been since you've sought the forgiveness of your child for how you've not handled things well? In that moment, they see redemption reality, they see scripture happening, and they see how walking with Jesus really looks. By the way, have you noticed that I've said you wanted them to understand this? Because here's the thing. You can't make any of them be and do that. Because you're dealing with heart. You and I are not the Holy Spirit. We have been entrusted with this wonderful gift from God. But we're trying to help them understand from here to there. And even in our failures and even in our faults, we want them to be able to see God's word and redemption. And what walking with Jesus is, we want to do everything we can to set them up to go, I want Jesus. But it's their choice. 
And over the years, we've seen families that have raised their children in biblical, godly, growing, humble, wonderful ways. And one child will be on fire for Christ and another child will just bag it. You're dealing with a heart. You're not dealing with a math equation. You're dealing with a life. So temporary, permanent, temporary. Understanding the heart of your child. The starting point and how you want them to leave. Lastly here, the parents plan. Plan. God has given you two central tools. I'm in Ephesians 6 and at the end of verse 4, you can just note it down. End of 6 verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Two tools, parents. Number one is biblical instruction. Biblical instruction, not human instruction, not your instruction, not your parents' instruction that was given to you, but ultimately biblical instruction. And I want for you to notice in this instruction here, this is, this is designed in a certain way to help us put some practicalness to this. Let's just assume at this point, this is the little infant child. Over here, we have 18, 20-year-old who, who's at that place. When, when you have a little one, you can't do a whole lot of instruction. I remember when, when Luke was young and he'd come over to the oven or something and it's not like, okay, son, let's talk. No, see, there's electric current that goes in and runs around this thing and that red thing in there that's because of the electric, blah, 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 and then that gets hot and then as the atoms and they begin to expand and he's like, you know, <laughs> that's just the reality as a little kid. And it's like, no, here's what ends up happening. No. <laughs> Okay, no, that's the full instruction right there. But then later on, uh, when when your kids get older, and now listen, have you changed the instruction reality? So that now, because honestly, here's what a lot of parents are doing at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. Here's their teaching. No. And the kid's like, exasperated and discouraged just like the scripture says you see instruction one of the most fun things was that point is moving instruction as they get older you can begin getting into their head into their heart and drawing their soul out and, and pulling it out and having them speak was one of the greatest challenges for me as a, as a dad. I just quickly, it was, I remember going through the Gospels and taking a look and it was like, Jesus Christ asked question after question after question after question. He was a master at asking questions. Why? Because questions draw out the heart. And I'm not a very smart guy. And I wish I would have done more of that earlier. But later when our kids were a bit older and I saw that and I started getting to that place where just ask questions and draw their heart out because now I want to draw their heart out and now we can talk about what's going on in your head because I'm not raising an equation, you're raising a heart instruction. Little when they're young, lots when they're old. I'll even say it this way. Little formal teaching, lots of informal. Informal, that's Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Hey, if you have devotions with your kids, fantastic. But honestly, I'm not so concerned about your devotions with your kids. I'm concerned about the rest of the day. That's the deal. 
more of it happening during that. Let's keep moving. The second tool, biblical correction. Biblical correction. And by the way, do you see how it falls on the graph here? Correction when they're young, like I was giving you the story with Luke, it was just kind of honestly, it was like, no, Luke, because we're trying to get his attention and understand that you touch that, there's some pain involved with that. And it's like, no. And then it's like, okay. <laughs> and then he goes off and he totally forgot what just happened. But it was a total correction teaching moment. But as time goes on, that correction comes down and that correction gets less. And as the instruction gets more and more, because you're raising them to leave home equipped. If you're just trying to raise them to stay home and have peace, it'll be correction flat across the whole top. But if you are getting to the point where you're able to instruct more and the correction is dropping down more because you're dealing with their head more, I'll tell you this, in the beginning, it's physically tiring. When they get older, it's mentally exhausting because you're trying to draw them out and get in their head and help them understand and even help them understand what they're thinking. Four things on biblical correction, just four words. Biblical correction is definable. Defined correction means that there's clarity and understanding between all parties. This requires an advanced teaching before the offense. Parents, have you, have, you, have you tagged certain, at the time in life where they're at, tagged certain disciplines to certain offenses? Otherwise, you're just making it up as you're going along. But there's times where we used to have where there's certain things we we're working on. And certain things had certain ramifications, and the kids knew about it. Your discipline, your correction is a whole toolbox. There's not one tool of correction. There's all kinds of tools of correction. In fact, the other day we were looking at a little picture. Oh, so sweet. Luke was in a timeout in a chair right against the wall. He's just a little boy. And Emily, she's probably like this tall. She's over. Got her head on his lap. Oh, sorry. Dad moment. But just there, you look at that and you go, listen, Luke is having a timeout and even Emily was understanding what was going on in it. And it's definable. You can see it. Uh, they understand it. There's no surprises in your correction. The worst thing to have happen is a, is a confused child in correction. Like, what just happened, dude? There's no teaching in that. There's no help in that. It's definable. Second, it's reasonable. It's fitting. The punishment fits the age and the offense. Parents, every problem is not a major problem. Every problem is not a major problem. Third, biblical correction is useful. It's useful for establishing order. It's useful for protecting. It's useful for preparing. It's useful for exposing. It's useful for teaching. And with that, biblical correction always has instruction with it, always. Biblical correction is not correction done out of anger. Biblical correction is not correction done out of, you're annoying me. Listen, that's you-centered parenting, not biblical-centered parenting. Two tools, instruction and correction. So a parent's priority, gospel-centered, marriage-focused home. A parent's purpose, to raise your children, to leave home, equipped to handle life biblically. And a parent's plan, I'm seeking to build a gospel-centered, marriage-focused home that raises my children to leave home, equipped to handle life biblically. And I'm using two key tools, 
instruction and correction. That's parenting wrapped up in a sentence. And it's a life challenge, isn't it? Or about an 18, 20-year-old challenge. Let me finish just by referring back to our verse and close it out. Colossians 3.21, just a couple comments. Fathers. Pause. Why not fathers and mothers? So is it like moms, you're like, thanks God, you're like, leave me out of the equation. No, that's not what's happening here. Someone's being addressed and it fits with last week. There's a headship role. There's a Mr. First Responsibility. And hear me, men, your first responsibility before God for your home. If love's not happening in your home, it's your responsibility first. If raising your kids in this kind of manner is not happening in home, it's your responsibility first. The, the moms are just as responsible. Please, ladies, don't be offended by that. I'm just saying, and no, part of what I'm really passionate about, I'm doing my doctoral thesis on laziness in men and their relationships. And men, we are abdicating the responsibility of our children far too often to the children's mother. And I just want to read to you some research that has been done to help you see in a world right now that is all about moms and dads are idiots. Just look at TV. Dads are idiots on TV. Everybody loves Raymond. Just go down down the line. Listen to this though. At two to three weeks, infant boys are more wide-eyed, playful, and bright-faced toward their father than their mother. At two to three weeks. Children who get along best with other children most often have fathers who spend a lot of time playing physically with them. By the way, these are from all kinds of different, not all the same research stuff. Just reading statements from them. Children who did best in terms of peer relationships were those whose dads validated their feelings and praised their accomplishments. The most powerful predictor of empathy in adulthood was paternal child rearing at early ages. Children of involved fathers tend to be intellectually smarter. A father's availability as well as their absence affect their children's academic performance. Simply being there is not enough. Being available and involved is what counts. Kids with unsupportive dads and dads who humiliate them were the ones most likely to be headed for trouble. They were the ones who displayed aggressive behavior toward their friends who had the most trouble in school and were the ones with problems often linked to delinquency and youth violence. Involved fathers tend to have happier marriages and more successful careers. I'm bringing this to the table because I am personally just concerned with what's happened with dads today. And how intriguing the scripture says, fathers do not provoke your children. And guys, we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to exasperate our kids. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And dads, I just want to say, love your children, please. Moms, you too. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And on this side of the fence is an empty nester. I just encourage you, parents with children still at home, it's worth every sacrifice, every ounce of work. Persevere. Lord, thank you for the time together. It's uh, been just kind of a time for me to throw a whole bunch of stuff out here on the table to referring to parenting and what's going on. And God, I just thank you for the parents in this room and I pray over them. No, God, would you please just give them grace and just and give them endurance. I pray for the single moms in this room, for the single dads in this room. God, they just have an added load as a parent. And Lord, you love them. I just pray that you would love on them and that we would love on them. And God, I thank you for the children here at this church, for the opportunity we have to come alongside parents and seek to raise them to understand what biblical living looks like. Would you help us as a church to do that better? God, we're not raising widgets. We're raising human beings created in your image that you love deeply and you desire to have them know you deeply. Father, just with kind of all this dad I've tossed out today, may may parents work it, think it, Put it into practice. God, again, I pray for the kids, for the teen, for the tweens. Thank you for them. Lord, I just pray that the Spirit of God would work in their lives, that they would yearn to have a deep, abiding, lasting, impacting relationship with the creator of the universe. You are amazing, Lord, that you allow us to do this. You are amazing, and we glorify you for it. We need your help. We need your help. May we love our kids and have a blast with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.